A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Have it to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. The Telegraph Total Football Podcast, in association with Line Trust, specialist fund managers. Hello, podcast fans. Tom Gibbs here. Welcome to Total Football. The first trophy of the season has been awarded and it was Manchester City's name on the famous old energy drink cup. We'll analyse their domination of Arsenal at Wembley as well as the rest of the Premier League weekend, including a big win for Liverpool and some smaller but no less important victories for Manchester United and Spurs. We'll head to the geographical centre of the nation to speak to John Percy on the doom enveloping West Brom and Alan Pardew as well as a sad case of Saido Berahino over at Stoke City. Plus a chat with Lioness Jordan Nobbs as we look ahead to Phil Neville's first tournament with England's women's team. But first, back here in the studio, I'm joined by a very special guest, my all-time favourite Premier League player without a QPR affiliation and a Southampton deity. It's Matt Letizia. Matt, how are you? I'm very good, thanks, mate. Good, good. Glad to hear it. We will start at Wembley with the League Cup final. Arsenal nil, Manchester City 3. Matt, a big win for City, but did they even need to be that good on Sunday? Um, no, they didn't need to be that good. I don't think Arsenal made it too uh, difficult for them to go out and, and win the first trophy of the season. Um, it, it almost felt like Arsenal had turned up happy that they've got to the final um, and almost almost turning up with a heavy heart and thinking, it doesn't matter how well we play, I don't think we can win this. And uh it turned out to be a pretty one-sided final. Quite, yeah. We know all the familiar complaints about Arsenal, but generally they have been quite good in these games. They've been good at Wembley. What made the difference on Sunday? Uh, I don't think they've played a team like Man City at Wembley. Uh, I think that would be the difference. I think uh, the fact that City are, are so much better than them, uh, I think, meant that they went into the game almost with an inferiority complex, if, if I'm honest. It, that's kind of the way it looked and... Um, you do look at the two sides and, and there is a gulf between them and it, it just showed in the final. Is that a managerial failure, not to get the players more up for it, not to make them think they could do it? Um, I'm not sure if it's... It, it, I'm sure Arsene Wenger would have instilled decent belief into his players. Um, but when City have been getting the plaudits and, and been so brilliant for on so many different occasions this season, it's difficult as a player to go into that game believing that you can beat them. But of course, we saw City could be beaten uh, by, by a lower league team earlier in the week. Why would Arsenal be so limp after seeing that? Surely they'd have a bit of inspiration, wouldn't they? You would have thought so. You would have thought that would have given them uh, a, a lot of hope. Um, but I, I just from the way that the game panned out, 
you kind of as soon as that first goal went in, you you just looked at the game and you thought, I can't see Arsenal win- getting anywhere near winning this now. How were you seeing that? Was it a body language thing? Was it about the way Arsenal were sort of playing on the ball or off it? Uh, I think probably off it more. Uh, I think they were a, a little bit standoff standoffish of the of the City players. Um, you know, I know uh, Gary Neville kind of. <laughs> Uh, tore into the Arsenal players quite a bit for their uh, their lack of work rate during that uh, second half, especially uh, in in the lead up to the second goal. Um, but I, I I don't know. It's it's just really weird to watch a team that should be able to to give Man City a good game. They should be. They've got good players, um, but it just looked like a team that turned up thinking that they couldn't win. Also, some basic defensive errors, right? The first goal, especially, was incredibly route one for City. A big punt down the field. Very very unlike City. Um, but, you know, Sergio Aguero does what, what he does and uh, finishes it off brilliantly. But, yeah, there's mistakes. When most goals are scored, you can normally, as a manager, you could look to your team and go, well, there was a mistake there, there was a mistake there. Yeah, sometimes you do have to hold your hand up and say, do you know what, there's very little we could have done about that. Um, but I think that that first one could have been avoided, yeah. Yeah, Aguero shouldn't be bullying Mustafi no, off the ball like that, should Absolutely he? not. Uh, company looking back to his best on Sunday, uh, capping it with the second goal of the game. Uh, when you're Vincent Company coming to the end of your career, you've had a lot of injuries. How do you manage injuries and, and keep yourself at the top and come back from them? Uh, I think he's been incredibly professional the way he's gone about things. Um, you know, he has had setback after setback after setback and still, you know, he, he does all the right things. He says all the right things. He's supportive of his team when he's not there. Um, he is a, a, a proper captain, a proper leader of a, of a football club. Uh, and I think Manchester City have probably, of all the money that they've spent at that football club, um, you know, over the last 20, 30 years, not just these owners, uh, because I know Vincent came in before those, but of all the money they spent, I think it was six million pounds. Yeah, something in that. I mean, ballpark. sure. I mean, talk about getting your your money's worth out of a player. Uh, and I know he's had his injuries, but he has been uh, a phenomenal captain for Man City. Yeah, David Silva completing a retro score sheet for Manchester City. Mm. All players who've been at the club uh, for a while. Guardiola does get criticised for using his checkbook a lot, but it would be churlish to ignore what he's done with the players he's inherited at City. No, that's that's very true. You know the, the the style of play that he's he's got them. You know players have to take on board different ideas when a new manager comes in, um, and he has got different ideas to a, a lot of other managers. Uh, and those players, despite you know having been in the game a long time, you know they were a bit prepared to to go. You know what? Fair enough. This is what you, this is what we need to do to stay in the team, to be in the team, uh, a successful team. So we're gonna knuckle down and do it. And fair play to them. Anyone particularly impress you for City today? Um, it's difficult with City because they've got so many good players. Um, yeah, Sergio Aguero has been one of my favourite players in the Premier League for a long time. How he's never been in the PFA Team of the Year is is quite remarkable. I think it was that fourth season uh, of scoring over twenty goals in the Premier League, and there's only four or five people that have done that. So um, he's always one that I like to see on the score sheet. I think he's a phenomenal footballer. Um, but David Silva, I think for me, has, has also been one of the best players the Premier League's ever seen. Do you think Aguero cares that he hasn't been in the PFA Team of the Year? Probably not. <laughs> not when, <laughs> not when he's picking up his uh, his Premier League medals and his uh, and his Carabao Cup winners medals. I, I'm not sure it's going to uh, really bother him. But I, I think just it, I just find it a little bit bizarre. And, and I know you know people like Harry Kane have had fantastic seasons. That um, I, I think with what he's done there, I think he deserves. A little bit of recognition from his from his fellow players. How many teams of the year did you make, Matt? 
Um, one, I think, one or two. Nowhere near <laughs> enough. Disgraceful. <laughs> Clearly, you've uh, you and Sergio have got uh, a conversation to be having there. Uh, how about how City managed the game today? It seemed to be a, a wonderful blueprint of how to deal with going three nil up and potentially, you know, an Arsenal goal could have gotten back into it. But they just seemed to kill it. How did they do that? They did. You know, they keep possession very well. It, it's so difficult to get the ball off of them. Um, you know. It, at nil-nil, you've, you're, you're in the game and you've got that enthusiasm to, to go and close down and, and be in the right place. Um, but when they're doing that and you're 1-nil down and you're 2-nil down and they're just popping the ball around you, it, it does get a bit disheartening. Uh, and you can just see the energy just drain out the players. Um, and City are so good, so comfortable, so adept at, at keeping the ball from you. You never be able to, you're never able to get up ahead of steam against them. Mm. Uh, I think that's the, that's the thing that they do well. Where now for Arsene Wenger? How would you feel if you'd been at Arsenal for many years and he was still the manager? There must be an element of the message getting less uh, less powerful coming from him to players. Yeah, I believe so. Um, I think it, it's it's been a long time coming. Um, I think Arsenal has, has got to, at some point, do what's best for the football club. Uh, and I know it is difficult after such a long period of time there. You know, he's on a fantastic contract. All that kind of stuff, um, but I think that there comes a time when you just have to say, "I've done my bit. I don't want to spoil the legacy." And some people might say that he's already done that. Uh, I think the fact you know he's he's won a few FA Cups the last few years. Um, I, I think it doesn't matter what happens this season. I think if he, when Arsene Wenger leaves, he'll be revered, but you don't want to leave it too long to to kind of for people to turn against you a little bit and for the atmosphere at the, at the games to go a little bit sour and you know half the stadium wanting you out half not it's it's not really that what he deserves at the end of his career do you think this was a tipping point on sunday I've, there's been so many times down the, <laughs> the last few years when i thought there was a tipping point when everybody thought there was a tipping point uh, and then he goes and signs another two-year contract. Um, so that would seem I, say, really, really surprising if that happened at the end of this contract, though, right? Uh, it would be a major shock, I would guess, um, given his age as well. You know, he's he's not getting any younger, um, and I, I don't know. I, I do think yes, it should be a tipping point, um, but he's got another year left on his contract after this, and it wouldn't surprise me if he saw that out. Aubameyang pretty ineffective for Arsenal up top today. What have you made of him so far? Yeah, a little bit disappointed, I think, from what I've seen so far. Obviously, it's very early days. He's you know, change of country, change of league. You know, it's not going to be easy to fit straight in. Um, I think we'll probably see the best of him next season. Uh, I think so far it's just been he's coming to Arsenal at a, a difficult time. Um, you know, they're, they're not playing that brilliantly not creating a, a bundle full of chances for him. Um, so I think uh, I think his time will come next season. And what about Jack Wilshere in the starting lineup at Wembley? Would he be in your England squad to go to Russia? I think he would be in my squad, yeah. Um, not sure if he's done enough just at the moment to force his way into the starting eleven, but I certainly think because of what he's got uh, from that midfield position, which, you know, let's be honest, we're not blessed in that particular department, uh, with a lot of players with uh, with his ability, um, so I think he he should definitely be in the squad. Uh, I think what happens between now and the end of the season will determine uh, whether or not he can get in the team. 
Moving on to the Premier League weekend, it was Manchester United 2, Chelsea 1 mm. on Sunday. Romelu Lukaku scoring one, making another. Is this enough to silence the critics who talk about how he can't <laughs> do it against the big teams, myself very much included in that? Um, I don't think... I don't think just doing it once will silence people. Uh, I think he'll need to do it on a little bit more regular basis. But we uh, you know, had this discussion on, on Soccer Saturday at the weekend. And, um, you know, it, it's difficult when you're a, you're a centre-forward playing up front on your own. In those big games against the, the bigger teams, when the manager sets the team up a little bit more defensively, a little bit more negatively, yeah, and he's not getting a whole load of chances to score lots of goals. So, you know, I, I do feel for him a little bit. I can understand the criticism, um, but I think there is some mitigating circumstances there for him as well. Still not really celebrating despite scoring a goal against Chelsea. I, I know it's his former club. How do you feel about that? You look sceptical. Yeah, I'm not I'm not a fan of the uh, the whole not celebrating thing. Uh, you know, it, I, hey, listen, if you've been at a club for like 15 years, you know, if I'd have left Southampton at 33 and, and gone and played somewhere else and came back and scored, I probably wouldn't have celebrated because you know, I'd played 500 games for the club out of respect. But, you know, if you've been at a club a, a couple of few years, I uh, didn't really play for him that much, surely you're going to want to celebrate against. I'm not sure if it was down to that because I've seen him score against other teams uh, who he hasn't played for and not celebrated much. Um, you know, I think he's... He's just uh, comes across as having a, a little bit of the ump. That he's taken a, a fair bit of flack and criticism, and um, you know it's just like, well, there's a goal, whatever. I'll just get on with it. Um, a bit too cool for school. A little bit too cool for school for me. Celebrate when you score a goal, for God's sake! <laughs> oh, obviously, if you're five nil down at the time, then don't bother. But you know, if it's a if it's a goal that puts your head in the game, it's the greatest feeling in the world scoring a goal. Let everyone know you're enjoying it because. There's people in that crowd. You've know, got 70,000 people at your stadium who love it when you score a goal. It kind of, I don't know, it takes the shine off it a little bit if the player who actually scores the goal doesn't look like he's really that bothered about it. Celebrate, man. <laughs> Quite right, too. Graham Souness was saying that Chelsea would have been winning that game easily if they had a decent striker. Is that fair? Um. Whew. It's probably a little bit harsh. I think Morata is a decent striker. Uh, he's probably not in the in his best form at the moment. Um, so you look at that game and think Diego Costa up there would it have made a difference? Probably. He's probably has a point. Um, but I think it's it's a little bit unfair to, to label Morata as not a very good striker. Yeah, quite. Costa would be missed by most teams, exactly. I suspect. Drinkwater got the nod to start in the middle by Conte. Um, why do you think he chose him over Fabregas? Fabregas seemed like a big name to be not playing in this big game. Uh, I think that's probably down to the uh, probably the energy levels that Drinkwater would get around the pitch a little bit quicker, uh, defensively a little bit more aware. Um, and I think that can be the only reason, really, because if you compare them as as footballers, um, you know, I, I think most people, if you if you're choosing a midfielder, uh, I think you would choose to probably go and watch Cesc Fabregas play as opposed to go and watch Danny Drinkwater play. But you know, managers have to try and manage the game, um, and he obviously felt that Drinkwater's qualities were needed a little bit more than Fabregas's today. Do you think he was going quite negative on Sunday, Conte? Chelsea did seem to be sitting back quite deep in the second half, and you wonder if they'd had Fabregas's guile from the beginning, they might have been able to snatch something there. Yeah, I mean, the, the, you could argue that you know the, the the setup was right in the first place because they took the lead in the game uh, and they went one it up. You know, it did, unfortunately for them, they couldn't hold on to that lead for, 
for, for too long. It was only six or seven minutes before United equalised. So um, I think I maybe would have expected Fabregas to come on a little bit earlier. Um, but it's it's an interesting... I mean, managers have their, uh, their ways that they like their team to set up and, and they know the different qualities of the different players. Uh, but I, I always prefer to see the the player who's going to entertain me a bit more in the starting lineup. To be honest, that's that's the kind of player I was. Doesn't sound massively surprising to <laughs> me. Matt. Uh, moving on to Anfield, Liverpool four, West Ham United one. We will get to Liverpool, but Arnautovic with that beautiful chip in the first half. Do you know who that reminded me of? Matt Letizia. <laughs> uh, are there any players playing currently who remind you of yourself? Um. Yeah. Poor. Most of them are too quick to remind me of me. <laughs> uh, I think the last person I think that that I kind of looked at and thought, yeah, was uh, was Dimitar Berbatov, who seemed to do things at his own pace throughout the game. You know, just barely broke out of a jog through ninety minutes, yet still had an effect on football matches. Uh, he was kind of the last one that I kind of looked at and thought, yeah. I, I, I can see the similarities there. Uh, did you ever tell that to Dimitar Berbatov? I've never met him. Oh, that's that's a meeting of the minds that needs to happen <laughs> immediately. Um, Liverpool, pretty imperious in this game. Uh, Salah seems to now just be sort of finding the corners of the goal without even really trying. It just sort of locked in. Did you ever have spells like that? Oh, it's, it's a fantastic feeling. I had, um, you know, when Alan Ball was my manager at Southampton in the mid-90s, I had kind of 18 months... Um, where my confidence was so high that I just felt I got the ball anywhere near the goal, you know, 20, 25 yards out. I always fancied myself to score. And, um, you know, I went through a spell there when when Alan was my manager that I scored 45 goals in 64 games, which, you know, I wasn't playing as a centre-forward during that period. You know, it was, I was playing as a kind of a number 10 role. Um, and, you know, it was just a, it was a wonderful feeling walking out on a football pitch thinking, you know, if a chance drops to me today... I, pretty much sure that's going to go in what did you make of Liverpool and how they took the game to West Ham oh they're a fantastic football team to watch going forward they're just absolutely superb um, the movement um, I think the way they just the energy that they create in the crowd because of the the play the speed of the counter-attacks and um, I, I just think that the Salah Mane Firmino combination it's just working perfectly for them at the minute. You know, I'm, I mean, I don't think I've ever seen so many games where all three strikers keep getting on the score sheet at the same time. You know, it's uh, it's been quite phenomenal there. How far do you think they can go in Europe with that strike force? Um, going forward, they're as good as as probably any team left in the Champions League. If I'm honest, um, you know, you just always hesitate with Liverpool because. Uh, the situation with with perhaps not having the greatest goalkeepers in the world, um, and perhaps defensively they can look a little bit shaky at times. Um, I'd like to think that we can get all five teams certainly into the quarterfinals. Um, that would be some achievement, uh, and then it's down to the luck of the draw. You know, I think I, I spoke to a Man City supporter at the weekend. And he said to me, they got through to the quarterfinals, they'd want to avoid Liverpool. They would rather play a PSG or a Barca than play against Liverpool. And so I think that says everything about how how decent Liverpool are and what they what damage they can do to top teams. Do you think they'll finish second, Liverpool? 
I actually uh, I got asked that question a couple of weeks ago, and I said I think Spurs will finish second. Wow, they've got a bit of ground to make up, Spurs. Uh, there's only you know, not not that much. Uh, I think they're five points away from United in, in second. So uh, I just felt that when I was asked the question, I, I thought Spurs had their shaky spell, and they, they they looked like they were coming strong for the second part of the season, and. Uh, I expect them to, to to finish strong this season. Very encouraging win for them and the manner of it against Palace on Sunday. Uh, mm. Tight game. It looked like it might be sort of heading to a, a gutsy draw for Palace, but Kane getting it done at the end. That's the sort of thing which uh, yeah, second place finishes are built on. Well, that's what Harry Kane does. You know, he, he pulls his teams out of uh, out of holes that they get themselves in sometimes. And um, you know, it, they were how they hadn't taken the lead before that. I don't quite know. I think Serge Aurier missed probably one of the easiest chances of the season when he completely completely miskicked in front of goal. Um, so yeah, when it was kind of ticking towards the 88th uh, minute, and um, you know, Harry got himself a little bit of space at the back post. Good finish. Um, you know, from from my point of view, I was delighted with the goal because it meant that uh, Crystal Palace stayed below us in the table. <laughs> from a purely selfish point of view, certainly get on to Southampton shortly. Uh, we should mention Serge Aurier, fabulous hat trick for him on Sunday. Hat trick of foul throws. Have you ever seen anything like it? Amazing. I I was just shocked, <laughs> absolutely shocked. I I don't think in the history of the Premier League I, I would have thought anybody would come close to having three foul throws in the same game. I mean, seriously. I mean, you could almost you could almost excuse it if it was a centre-forward who never takes a throw-in in his career, right? But you're a full-back. You take throw-ins as part of your job. Come on. That's <laughs> unbelievable. It was very, very cold in South London. I came <laughs> from there on the way to this studio, so uh, I, I do have a little bit of sympathy for him. Um Palace badly missing uh, Wilfred Zaha. He's the major creative spark for them, as you were for Southampton. What did Southampton do when you were out to try and uh, counteract your loss? Um, uh, that's a good question. Um, I, first, I didn't suffer that many injuries for about a, for about a five, six, seven years spell. I, I missed very few games. Um, so the the ones that I did miss, you know, were kind of one-offs almost. I didn't really have a, a long spell out injured. Um, but I know that, uh, I do know that, I think it was about a four-year gap. Um, I, I, as I said, I didn't miss that many games, but there was about four and a half years where Southampton didn't win a Premier League football match when I wasn't starting in the team. Incredible. Mm. Who was your it, best it, understudy? It wasn't, it wasn't that many. Um, it was my best understudy. We, it, we didn't, I didn't really have an understudy. I think when I didn't play, they kind of changed the, the formation of the team um, and kind of uh, went a little bit more basic. Uh, when, when I was kind of in the team, they had to we had to wing it a little bit to make up for my defensive deficiencies. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on to your Southampton, Matt. Burnley won, Southampton won on Saturday. Southampton mm. have been so solid in the Premier League for many years now. Suddenly looking vulnerable. What's changed for them this season? Um, I think we've lacked goals this season. I think that's been the big thing. Obviously, Charlie Austin missing a big chunk of the season has been a, a huge blow. Um so I think goal scoring has been the the biggest thing because you know, we we've created chances and um, not been sticking them in. We've we've had chances to win football matches uh, and goals win games. And and when your top scorer is out injured for for quite a chunk of it, 
it is a little bit of a struggle. Obviously, we've brought in Carrillo. Um, you know, Shane Long has has been an option. Gabbiadini hasn't featured that much, which I've been a little bit surprised at um, because I think he's probably the most natural goal scorer we've got, uh, other than Charlie Austin. Um, and he kind of proved that on uh, on the weekend, coming on and, and rescuing us. I think he was only given about eight minutes in the game, um, but uh, yeah, he managed to get himself free in the box and uh, and stick it away well. Got a bit of luck as well, didn't he, with Bobby Madley blocking off one of the Burnley players? Did yeah, you ever benefit from anything similar to that in your career? <laughs> uh, I, d- I don't remember the referee assisting me in any of my goals. No, <laughs> no, but uh, yeah, that's just one of those things that happens in football. He didn't do it on purpose. Uh, and I know Sean Dyche was a, a little bit aggrieved that perhaps he wasn't given a foul. Um, you know, from when Gabbiadini kind of made the space for himself, there might have been a, a little bit of a, of a coming together there in the box. Um, I haven't seen it close enough to to really have an opinion as to whether or not the referee should have given a foul or not. But um, uh, at the time, <laughs> in the 90th minute of the game, I wasn't really that bothered about that. I was just <laughs> happy that we'd got a point and it lifted us out of the uh, bottom three. Good stuff. Bournemouth 2, Newcastle 2 as well on Saturday. Um, this is, of course, an extremely challenging trip for Newcastle fans, mm. going basically from one end of the country to another. You obviously would have done a fair bit of that with Southampton. How did much indeed. difference did that make, those long journeys to, to a team of players? Uh, not a lot, really. Um you know, we always travelled on the Friday afternoon. I mean, back in back back in our day, the, the trips to Newcastle were done by coach. You know, they fly most places up north now, but we we would get on a coach at Friday lunchtime, and we'd spend six or seven hours on the coach driving up to a hotel. You know, amusing ourselves at the back of the bus playing cards, and uh, uh, and it was kind of I, I quite enjoyed the away trips. It was like good fun. It was good, you know, good cracking the bus, and then. You have a bit of dinner on the Friday night. It didn't really matter when you woke up Saturday morning because your hotel's not far from the ground. It's not like you have to travel far. Um, so yeah, I, I don't never really bothered me the distance that you travelled. Better for team bonding than airplane uh, rides and uh, noise cancelling headphones. Yes, I would. I would say so. Yeah, <laughs> and stealing taxis. How frustrating would this have been for Newcastle? Two 0 up, of course, could have been leading three 0 That would have been. I think incredibly frustrating for Rafa because he'd set his team up very well. He got himself to a great position in the game. Um, but the thing is, with Bournemouth, uh, I think we've seen it quite a few times. You know, they they don't give up and they keep going right to the end. You know, I think Stoke were were winning one nil there not so long ago. Two late goals got them the got them the win. They've had a you know the great comeback against Liverpool last season. So they're a team that you can't rest on your laurels against. They they do keep going right to the end and um, fair play to. To Bournemouth, they um, you know they get a little bit of a head of steam up down at uh, the Vitality, and uh, and they can really put teams under pressure. Moving east along the south coast, it was Brighton and Hove Albion four, Swansea City one. Fantastic mm. result for Brighton. When you're towards the bottom of the table, how do these wins feel against other teams that are struggling? Oh, massive, absolutely massive. You know, I, I mean, I can I can remember back in my day, we we were struggling. Um, around Easter time, um, when Alan Ball first uh, was manager in '93, '94, and we played on Easter Saturday and Easter Monday against two teams, both at home, that were in and around us in the relegation zone, and we got beat both times. And it was just like the lowest, the lowest uh, point of my career. We just thought, "Geez, we've just thrown away six points against these two teams. How the heck are we going to stay up?" Uh, I think we then went to to Norwich, who were also probably not in a great position at that time. Um, I think the following week it might have been, 
uh, and we we won five four in an incredible game where we were behind in the game three times. So, um, and that was just an, a, an unbelievable feeling. I remember doing an interview at the end of that game, and uh, uh, and I, we we scored a winner in the last literally the last kick of the game. And um, and I just said at that interview, I said, hopefully at the end of the season, that's the goal that keeps us up, and we stayed up by a point. Finally, we'll finish off with the late game on Saturday. Watford won Everton nil. Uh, Javi Garcia seemingly doing fine with Watford. Would the rapidly changing managers they've had at Vicarage Road have bothered you as a player? Um, I think we 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 kind of had a a spell at Southampton where it was kind of one manager a season um, towards the back end. Of the year. Chris Nichol was my first manager for the first six years, um, and then it almost felt like the managers tenure just got less and less and less you know Adam Ball had 18 months Dave Merrington had a year Graham Sooners had a year uh, Dave Jones stuck it out a little bit longer than that I think it was two and a half you know they made Glenn Hoddle for uh, a season Stuart Gray for 12 games um, and it, it is a bit disruptive um, you, you just have to hope that you know when the new manager does come in he actually thinks you're a decent player and wants you in the team and that's your that's your kind of biggest concern as a as a player when when the manager comes in you know his first team that he picks is is always one that you kind of want to be in just so you you kind of think that yeah actually he quite rates me as a player so I'm all right here were you ever seriously worried you weren't going to make that first 11 um yeah um Ian Bramford wasn't particular particularly big fan of mine um, when he took over in the uh, early nineties, and uh, he, he dropped me a few times, and uh, uh, so I, you know, it wasn't always a, a guarantee that I'll be I'll be starting. Then, kind of towards the last few years of my career, when I had a, a few injuries, um, you know, it, it was yeah, it was a bit of a struggle to get back in the team at times then as well. Had a happy ending though, didn't it? Oh, indeed, yes. <laughs> Sad to say that things are not looking good for West Bromwich Albion Football Club. Seven points off safety in the Premier League after another defeat this weekend. John Percy, our man in the Midlands, joins us now. John, what are the chances that Pardew will see out the season now for West Brom or are they going to fancy one more roll of the dice? I think it's very remote that he'll see the season through. I think Pardew is equivalent to uh, Wiley Coyote in the Roadrunner cartoon, clinging onto the end of the cliff with his fingernails desperately trying to avoid dropping into the Grand Canyon. I think he's on his last throw of the dice here. I think he's got to win at, uh, win at Watford on Saturday. If he doesn't, I think it could be uh, another managerial change. I don't think they want to um, do what they, you know, I don't think they want to sack him, but I think it's got to the situation where there's just been no impact. There's been no sort of bounce that they were expecting from his appointment. The performances are getting worse. There's a, a lot of players clearly not playing for him, I think, already at this stage. And obviously, if they do lose at Watford and results go against them next weekend, they could be 10 points. And, uh, you know, you're looking at the championship already. Then. Quite. The chairman and chief executive out recently at West Brom. Were they allies for Pardew? I think they were involved in his appointment. Yeah, they were key figures. So obviously, you know, they would have been involved in his in the selection process. So he's lost two, you know, as you say, key allies there. There's a chief executive just returned to the club, Mark Jenkins, who's obviously got the ear of the Chinese owners. They will be they'll be now looking at the long term. Well, that means you know getting rid of Pardew and getting a, a young and up and coming manager to sort of start building for next season, which is probably going to be in the championship. I think that's what they'll be looking at doing. Are they a club that's built 
for the championship, John. So some teams, you get the impression that going down, they could probably weather the storm. But are West Brom now a team that's just expecting to be in the Premier League? What what difference will this make to them financially and just about how the club is run? Huge difference. I mean, the, the business model now under the new ownership is, as a Premier League club, a sensibly run Premier League, which was, you know, how Jeremy Pease, the former chairman, left it. It's all run as a Premier League club, you know, as a, as a go, you know, a self-sufficient club, not spending massive amounts, but you know, just having a bit of a go. You know, their their sort of ideal remit will be to finish mid-table. So, relegation now. I mean, they were they were originally known as the the, the Yo-Yo Club, but I think relegation now would be a disaster for them. You'd have to question whether the Chinese owners would stick around in the championship. I mean, their whole philosophy is not designed on second-tier football. So, um, I think relegation would be a huge blow for them. Um, and that's why I think this party situation is now coming to a head because they will think with, with 10 games to go, there's still a chance, you know, a quarter of the season to go, there's still a chance of staying up. And that is their, that's, that's going to be their key thing. They want to stay up. They want to be in this league. Any sense of who they might go after if they do get rid of Pardew? There's obviously Derek McInnes, their former player, who is uh, quite fancied up at Aberdeen. Yeah, I mean, he's, a, he's, he's someone they'd look at. But from my understanding, there's, that is the big issue they've got, is there's no credible alternatives, no real options out there at this late stage of the season to replace him, which is... You know, if we're being absolutely brutally honest, it's probably what's in the stay of execution for this week uh, up to the Watford game is that there's no one out there who would, you know, knock your socks off. There's no sort of firefighter out there. I mean, obviously, you've got the Tony Pulis comparison. You know, he's the points off the playoffs or something with Middlesbrough. People are sort of questioning whether it was the right decision. I mean, the effect of Pardew, it's just been minimal. I mean, there's just been hardly any uh, balance whatsoever. What's caused such a downturn this season for West Brom? Did anyone see it coming? Uh, I think you could you could point to the end of last season. I think you know I think Pulis they beat Arsenal at home in February or March. I think it was, and obviously went on this dreadful run towards the end of the season. There was an argument for getting rid of Pulis at the end of uh, last season. It was rather like Mark Hughes at Stoke. You know, people could see the sort of alarm bells. They could see it coming. But I mean, obviously, Pardew pointed out yesterday three wins in thirty-seven. So not everything can be levelled at him. But, uh, I mean, they strengthened well in the summer. I mean, one of the, the squad they've got now is one of the best in the Premier League era, I would say. But it's just not worked out. There's underperforming players. There's, you know, there's, there's friction behind the scenes over his training ground methods, team selection. It's just been... A, it's just, and obviously, the, the Barcelona warm-weather training camp has just, you know, just been the sort of... It's the archetypal thing for clubs struggling, isn't it? You know, there's always like a, a little pre-season or, you know, mid-season training camp where things go wrong just to sort of um, finish it all off. So it's been the, it's been an absolute car crash of a season for them. Quite. Let's move away from West Brom as quickly as possible, John, and uh, have a look at Stoke City. Saido Berahino reached his unwelcome anniversary on Saturday, two years without a goal now for him. What's gone wrong? He wasn't even given a chance to sort of uh, end the curse, was he? I mean, I don't think he even travelled with the squad. He, he wasn't in the match day 18. It, I just feel, I, I feel for him in a way. It's been, it's just, he was a big signing, £12 million. Pounds, you know, everyone had these high expectations of him a few years ago. He just can't buy a goal for love, no money. I think he's overweight again. I think they've got him on a sort of fitness programme at Stoke again. I think he's uh, he's way out of the picture. They've got Tyrese Campbell came in, the young lad. Um, his debut on Saturday at Leicester did OK. So, I mean, that's another sort of, he's down the pecking order a little bit further. I, I don't know how he, where he goes from here. Cause, I mean, obviously, the club wanted him to stay. They didn't want to go out and loan on January. They wanted him to sort of stick around and prove people wrong. But uh, he can't do that if he's not playing. 
Finally, John, you cover the entire Midlands region for us. What do you think your patch is going to involve next year for Premier League clubs? I've got a feeling Stoke will stay up. I think they'll they'll just, they'll just sneak a few wins. I think West Brom, sadly, look, you know, I really like going there, but I think they're doomed. I think Wolves they're having a bit of a wobble in the Championship, but I think they will they will stay up. I think I think um, Villa they've got a good chance, whether it's automatic or the playoffs. Leicester, obviously, they're just sort of table. What, what they're doing with Club Puel in the summer remains to be seen. But I think you know, I think we'll lose West Brom, but probably lose, uh, gain uh, Wolves and Villa perhaps certainly keeps it interesting John a pleasure as always thank you very much for joining us cheers Tom the Telegraph Total Football Podcast in association with Lion Trust specialist investors who help you head towards your financial goals independent thinkers who have the courage of their convictions to make investment decisions remember investments can fall as well as rise The Phil Neville era will begin for England on Thursday with a game against France in the She Believes Cup. Delighted to say we're joined now by Arsenal and England star Jordan Nobbs. Jordan, I'm distressed to hear you're going to be missing this tournament through injury. How are England going to get on in your absence? (laughs) Um, You know, I'm sure they'll they'll be just fine and, um, you know, I I hope they are. Um, Unfortunately, I've took a little knock on my knee, so, um, you know, I I am good not to be there with the team. you know, especially under Phil Neville for the first time. Um, but, you know, I'm I'm looking forward to watching them play. Um, and, yeah, you know, hopefully I'll be back soon. USA and Germany, the other teams completing the lineup for this competition. Very high-caliber opposition for England. Who do you think is going to be most dangerous? I'd probably say Germany. I think the way they play and always have done, you know, they've always been a threat and um, their team are very organised um, and we've always you know, struggled in that kind of final third bit when we've played them. So, um, you know, I think they will be tough. And obviously France and America are, are such big teams, but I think we're a team that are now up there with the best. You know, we're, we're first in Europe. So um, I have full confidence in, in us still putting on a good performance and, um, you know, looking at the bigger picture for the World Cup in 2019. What's that process like, Jordan? Presumably wanting the team to win, watching on from afar and cheering them on, but knowing that there's also someone in your place in the team. Yeah, it's uh, it's never easy. You know, as a player, you want to play every minute and be a part of every game to to show what you can do. But um, you know, I've just got to hope that what I've been doing at Arsenal has has been good enough, and you know that injuries happen in this kind of career, and um, you just have to be fully focused when you come back. But um, I think it can only make you a better player, really, when you have that competition. So, um, you know, yeah, I am disappointed not to be there showing what I can do. But um, I hope when I'm back fit, you know, I can be back on the pitch and in the starting eleven. Any of your teammates we should be uh, paying particular attention to in this competition? I'd probably say Lucy Bronze, um, our right back. I think, uh, you know, she's she's took captaincy while me and Steph aren't, aren't there through injury. And I think she's you know, the best right back in the world right now. And, um, you know, I think it's definitely her her time to shine how she has been the last few years. What have been the messages so far from Phil Neville? What sort of manager is he going to be for England? To be honest, I, I haven't spoke to him too much. Um, obviously, we haven't met up up until now. Um, you know, we have spoke to him once and he seems a, a great guy and, and very driven. And, you know, he wants to be winning that World Cup in 2019. So... Um, I think it's going to be an exciting journey for us and, um, you know, hopefully Phil can be that one to to take us for that gold medal. But 
at this moment in time, I think he seems a, a, a fantastic guy and, um, you know, a guy that wants to win and who also has experience of winning as a player. So hopefully he can take us from third in the world to first. Casey Stoney added to uh, Phil Neville's coaching team. What will she bring to that role? You know, she she just knows that role so well. I think, um, you know, she's already been over the last however many years a leader uh, off the pitch and I think she'll carry on that role within the within the team and hopefully be that connection of you know when players maybe need to talk or improve something then you know she knows she knows them very well so um, she's been a, a great player in person for our team and um, I'm sure she'll you know love being a part of that role and it, it suits her very much. Jordan, you're nominated for Women's Footballer of the Year at the London Football Awards on Thursday night. You won the competition last year. Are you confident about retaining your title? <laughs> um, I guess as a player, you're just always uh, great to be nominated. Um, you know, it was amazing to win last year and I hope I am I'm obviously going to win it this year. But um, there's great nominees up and, um, you know, whatever happens, happens. Um, I'm just glad to be noticed as a a top player in London and, um, you know, if I if I win the trophy again, then that'll be great. Finally, Jordan, what was your take on uh, the Arsenal men's side at Wembley in the League Cup final? <laughs> uh, yeah, I've just been to it. Um, obviously, disappointing result. And Did you, you stay know, till my... the end? <laughs> I left about 10 minutes just before it finished um, to get in the car and, and get out. But, yeah, it, it wasn't a great day for, for Arsenal fans and um, I think there was a lot of other people leaving early, so... You know, hopefully Arsenal can bring back the crowd and um, the belief in in everyone. But yeah, it wasn't it wasn't a great performance, and, and Man City deserved to win. Yep, quite right, Jordan. Hope you get over your injury soon, and we see you back for England and Arsenal. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thanks very much. Time for your Hero of the Week and this week we must recognise the generosity and wholly sensible behaviour of Salford City whose match on Saturday against Tamworth was postponed due to a frozen pitch. Salford's joint managers Anthony Johnson and Bernard Morley didn't want food that would have been sold inside their stadium going to waste so they spent their afternoon driving 150 pies, 40 cheesecakes and four containers of leek and potato soup to a Manchester homeless shelter. Good thinking from Salford then. Matt, we usually use this bit of the show to ask a tangentially related question to our lovely heroic act that story. That's a great word, by the way. What does that mean? Uh, tangentially. I'm not sure. It's the Off first, on a first thing they teach you at journalism school is how to use uh, okay. slightly unnecessary flashy words. <laughs> and they beat it out of you. Uh, in any case, we've, we've already gone off on a tangent. Let's get back to what I've got written down here. Um, I want to ask you, Matt, a, a question. Uh, I'm very used to seeing the same sort of 10 or so goals of yours. Uh, they're, they're kind of imprinted on my mind. What's a fantastic goal of yours which people might not have seen? Uh, OK, I scored a goal against Barnsley in the League Cup at Oakwell, um, which uh, wasn't being televised by, uh, by Sky. So it was only on uh, the local... Meridian TV down in in Southampton, the news bulletin, um, but it was a it was a, a nice goal where I, I flicked the ball over a defender's head, um, ran round him, got the other side of him as the ball dropped, and I smashed a right foot volley from about twenty five yards, and it's gone dipping over the goalkeeper. It's hit the underside of the crossbar, come down and back up into the roof of the net. It was it was decent goal, but never ever gets shown and. Uh, yeah, that was definitely right. And the, the strange thing is is that the goalkeeper for Barnsley that day 
uh, was um, Dave Watson, who's now the goalkeeping coach at Southampton. Small world. <laughs> Indeed it is. Do you, is that goal on YouTube? I don't know, actually. I've never searched it on YouTube. I'll have to do that. But I, I've got a, I've got it on VHS. Right, you might have to upload it to YouTube. <laughs> How the hell do I do that? We'll try and make that happen. We've, we've got the power. <laughs> That's all from Total Football this week. We will be back with you next Sunday night into your life in time for your Monday morning commute. If you want to tell me something before then, please don't be shy. You can find me on Twitter at Tom with an H Gibbs. Don't forget to subscribe to Total Football and give us five of your very happiest stars on iTunes. If your review makes mention of a QPR player, I'll read it out on next week's show. How's that for you? Fantastic. Polvo are the top band behind our theme tune. Buy their music at mergerecords.com. Thanks to Abby Patterson on the buttons and thanks to you for your company. I'll talk to you again soon. The Telegraph Total Football Podcast in association with Lion Trust. Specialist fund managers. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.